0: Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. Welcome to episode 3 of Vroom. This week I'm joined by Moto2 European Championship frontrunner Lukas Tulevich from Germany. And Motor America's communications manager Paul Carruthers, who also just happens to be the son of the 1969 250cc world champion Kel Carruthers. I'll also be looking back at the last 7 days of motorsport action, so open the throttle, it's time for Vroom. It's been a busy week in the world of motorsport. Formula One held their second event of the season at the Red Bull Ring and after a social media debate that seemed to go on for days over what the official hashtag for the event was, it was Lewis Hamilton for Mercedes who took the win after producing a wet weather masterclass in qualifying. Valtteri Bottas finished second ahead of Max Verstappen in the Red Bull, but once again it was Lando Norris that everyone was raving about, the McLaren driver pulling off yet another stunning last lap to finish fifth, ensuring he remains third overall behind Valtteri and Lewis as the series moves to Hungary for round three. On the other side of the pond, the NTT IndyCar series was back in action with two races at one of my favourite circuits stateside, Road America. After winning the first two races, Scott Dixon made it three in a row by winning on Saturday, but that's where the winning streak ended. Swede Felix Rosensquist took a maiden IndyCar win on Sunday from Pato Award and Alexander Rossi, no relation to Valentino, who took his first podium of the 2020 season. Switching from four wheels to two, and to the FIMCEV Repsol series, who were once again in action in Portugal, but this time at the roller coaster circuit, the Autodromo Internacional de Algarve, better known as Portimao. Our guest this week, Lucas Tulovic, tipped off in race one before bouncing back to finish ninth in the Moto2 European Championship. Both wins in Moto2 going as they did in Estoril to Italy's Yari Montea who takes a maximum 100 points from the first four races of the year. Nikki Tulli taking a double second place to consolidate his second overall and a third third position of 2020 for Italy's Alessandro Zacconi. Pedro Acosta took the honours in the Moto3 Junior World Championship race in Portimao to now jointly lead the Moto3 World Championship, the Junior World Championship, with Xavi Artigas, who finished second, the pair on 45 points apiece. In other two-wheel news, it was a Honda frenzy on Monday morning, as uh, Alex Marquez was announced as an LCR Honda rider for the 2021 season. Pol Espargaro was announced as Marc Marquez's teammate for the next two years. And Frankie Morbidelli uh, was also announced as remaining at the Petronas Yamaha squad for 2021 and 2022 what did this mean in terms of the British fans and uh, British representation on the grid well it meant that Britain's Cal Crutchlow is now no longer a Honda rider he's looking for a berth for 2021 some say he's already signed for Aprilia let's wait and see well next week in our weekly roundup we'll be talking all things MotoGP as the series kicks off proper in Jerez We'll see if Mercedes can make it three from three at the Hungarian Formula One Grand Prix. And of course, we'll be bringing you the latest news from around the world as it happens. Well my first guest this week on the Vroom podcast is German Lucas Tulevich, a rider that I first met at the Sepang Moto Grand Prix last year. Uh, Lucas no stranger to racing in Moto2 but he's also racing in the Moto E World Cup this year. So uh, Lucas welcome to the Vroom podcast. You're dialing in from a very factory looking Kiefer uh, office there in uh, in Portimão. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, thank you Michael for your invitation. It was uh was really uh, happy when I got, uh, got your invitation for the podcast. Um, yeah, honestly, uh, really, really good feeling after last week in, in Estoril, the first race of the season, also during the, the strange situations nowadays. And now we arrived here at Portimao, just setting up all the truck for the weekend. Monday we have the next two races here at, at Portimao, so... Getting ready, later we have a track walk and then uh, tomorrow we start our training sessions. Fantastic. Obviously, a lot of people listening are from the car world as well as the biking
0: world. So hopefully in the next 25 or 30 minutes, uh, a lot of people are going to get to know things about you that uh, maybe they didn't know. But one thing we can start by saying is you're not a fan of singing, which is mildly disappointing. Because I know when we met last year, um, you, were, you were possibly in the World Superbike uh, paddock. And uh, that was one of the things that, that I was uh, sort of teasing and joking with you, saying, no, but everybody that's new in the paddock has to sing. And uh, it, it's not going to happen, sadly.
1: Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Singing when I'm in the car or in the shower. I don't know. I'm, I'm singing all the time. I love music and, and everything. But... Before, in front of of of, uh, of other people and big crowd like in in the paddock show of a bike, <laughs> I'm a little bit too shy to to start singing because I'm not a professional and my voice is not not made for singing, so it's difficult situation for me. I better go out on the track and show my potential there on a the bike than on the stage with a microphone singing.
0: <laughs> no, no, for sure. And you're, you're obviously doing a, a lot better job on a bike than, uh, than I would do. But I do have to ask you one serious question. You're the first German uh, rider or driver that we've had on the podcast. Um, Schlager music. Uh, now, I did <laughs> something on my, uh, my Instagram, which I think you commented on, and I, I posted it on my Twitter as well. Helen Fisher,
1: is that a, yeah. th- is
0: that a thumbs up or a thumbs down?
1: Depends. Depends. She had some quite good songs that are have been in German viral and for the for the football World Championship. The, the song I think was the one you also put it in. Have been putting in the story. Atemlos, I think it was. Yeah. She had some really popular songs, but it's uh, music style you have to like. Most most of the people that uh, that are like fans are a little bit older people that listen to her music. Uh, also, some young people exist, but that
0: was a, that was a nice yeah.
1: that was a nice recovery there. Because I was going to say I
0: quite like Helen Fisher, and you're saying it's only for old people, and I'm only 21. So I mean, uh, <laughs> it's not.
1: No, it depends. It depends. Some some young people like it too, but it's it's like with everything. You have the, the different uh, opinions, different taste of music, like like with everything. And I'm not like the biggest fan of the music. Some songs are okay, but I listen to more like rock or hip hop or some some other music styles. Yeah, no problem. Well,
0: let's get back to the serious business now. Let's uh, let's keep it serious and let's talk about motorcycle racing, which is what we, uh, of course, both uh, massively uh, love and, uh, and adore. I want to talk to you first of all, um, about how you got into racing. Um, we've talked a lot on the podcast in the last couple of weeks, about how riders in the UK and uh, in other countries get into racing, the German Championship, the IDM Championship. We've seen many, many great riders: uh, Xavi Forres, Marcus Reiterberger Two yeah. bring to mind that have had great uh, careers. Um, how did you
1: get into to two wheels? Well, it was. Uh, I, I have already a few years, few uh, years in my my career books. Uh, so I started with five years with a small mini moto. Uh, before before I, I got six I with six years you you've been allowed to start in the German championship for this then I've been there for four years it was till I was 10 I did also uh, uh, second in the uh, European championship uh, in the same year Bruno irachi and Tony Tonia bellino have been with me on the on the podium and uh, also German champion in I think 2008 eight or 2009 nine it was I'm not sure again a long time ago then I stepped up to the NSF 100, was uh, two years in this in this class. To 11, I was also a European champion there. And then to 13, I went to ADAC Junior Cup. Uh, it was the last year with uh, two strokes, with 125 Aprilia. And in 2014, I've done uh, the same championship, but with 390 KTM for the first year. We've also raced there at uh, Saxling Grand Prix at the MotoGP. We have one special race where we've been in the World Championship and everybody's like, oh, so many people here. It's, as a young guy, it's, yeah, it's that's cool. racing there. Um, and then in 2015, we've made a decision because I was already one of the really, really tall guys and the small guys have been overtaking me on the straight and I really had to fight a lot. And then we made a decision to go to 600 class, direction to Moto2, not direction Moto3, because I was already too big and made no sense to go to Moto3, because the guys there are, you know, pretty pretty small, a lot lighter uh, for the weight than me. And then we went to Yamaha Cup. It, was, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a really good championship also to step in. There you start also with data recording, with everything and it's getting step by step more professional. For example, also uh, Jesko Rathbin has been there, or Kenan Zufoglu won this championship before oh, really? going to. Yeah, honestly. Kenan okay. Zufoglu. Yeah. And this championship I've done, unfortunately, I didn't win because I won race in Belgium in Solda. I was not allowed to race because I was fourteen, and you had to be fifteen. I was the only rider. Didn't uh, didn't race there because I was not allowed. I and one, you, you couldn't race there because in Belgium the rule was fifteen. Yeah, but in you know, other yeah, exactly. races that year you, you could race. Yeah, exactly. It was the only race I was not allowed to do to, to race. We <laughs> tried everything, but unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to go there. And then into sixteen, we went. Because it was an amazing year, first time on the 600, we went to to Spain, to the CIV, where I'm racing now also, this year. But first year with really bad material, and I was fighting a lot. Um, and then we made the step uh, to to a Calix, to a good team, to a Chia team, into 17. And it was amazing. I made really, really good progress. Even did one pole position at Estoril, and did... Not quite the podium, but two times fourth position. And then also in the same year, I got the chance, because it was together with forward. I did my first test at Austria at, at forward, because Baldassari was injured after the race on Monday, the test after the weekend. And then in 18, we made another step to to Tectua team in CV again. There I did my first podiums. And then, because of these good results, Domi uh, Agata was injured at the Kiefer Racing Team, where I am now, currently. And then I had the chance to go two races to uh, World Championship Moto2. Did some good races and performance there. And then, last year, the step to the Moto2 World Championship. And now I'm back here in the CIV and trying to, to fight for the, for the victories and to get back to the Moto2 World Championship. So, step by step,
0: that's impressive. Um, I
1: mean, considering you're only 20,
0: 2021, 20, I mean, you're still a really, 20. really yeah, 20, 20. So, I mean, that's an impressive CV. If you were to write everything down, I mean, you, you've already accomplished quite a lot. Um, I know there was a lot of talk over the winter that, that Kiefer would move to the World Superbike Paddock and for various yeah. reasons that we don't need to go into where it didn't happen. Um, before we talk about the current season, because obviously you are doubling up in Moto E as well, which is another completely different bike to ride and I'm really interested to hear a lot about that. Um were you disappointed that the the World Supersport deal didn't happen? I know you were really looking forward to coming into that paddock. I know the team was as well, but you know what what was your feeling at the time? Because there was a lot of press and you know I tend to not really read too much of certain journalists because they just try to to sensationalise stories for people to read, right? So um were you you know what was your feeling Firstly, when you thought, "Hey, I'm going to World Supersport," and then when you found out that you weren't going to World Supersport, because there was a time that potentially you may not even have a ride, uh, you may not even be riding anything. So um, that's a,
1: that's a lot to deal with at 20 years old, right? At uh, that point I was 19. Yeah, it was oh, 19, difficult. Situation. Yeah, difficult situation. After last year, we my Kiefer got uh, uh, cancelled the place in the Moto2 World <laughs> <laughs> Championship, and then we had to look for. Uh, other possibility. I also didn't have any good possibilities to stay in the Moto2 World Championship. Unfortunately, if I had a lot of money, I could stay there. But I'm I'm not super rich uh, to to be be uh, able to pay like millions a year. It's, uh, it's what you also talked about last uh, episode. It's expensive sport and uh, it's normal. But um, yeah. I'm trying to do it this way, and uh, with my sponsors, I have to to do the best out of the, the possibilities. So, yeah, the supersport plan was amazing. I was really looking forward to it because I was already in the Yamaha Cup and 218. I also did two championships, um, also on a R6 stock 600 in in Spain, and I really felt so good on the bike. Uh, like Steven also said uh, last episode, uh, model two compared to the 600, uh, 600 really allows you mistakes it's more soft more smooth easy to ride and uh, also it's a lot lot of fun because because you really can control the bike and and it's uh, super smooth Um, but yeah unfortunately the project didn't work because of the financial situation and then we had to find another, another option and uh, the, uh, the best one was here in Spain to do this championship because Jochen, my team boss, already he still has the, the material, the Moto2 material, everything from the past. So we, we could start this project here.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And, uh, and obviously the Kiefer Racing team, uh, a very, very famous team, they've had great results. And Jochen's been a, a real supporter of you as well, hasn't he? I know last year yeah. I met you for the very first time in Sipang. Uh, I was there doing some work for for Ducati, and he was even in the meeting when we met. In I remember meeting in your garage in the little office, and we we're all having a having a little chat. And uh, and even then he was really very complimentary about you. You know, you, you've got a good relationship together, and that that makes a big difference sure. as well, doesn't it? If, if everybody around you Believes in each other, it makes life a little bit easier because it is a tough sport, as you said, not just from the financials. I mean, there's a lot of stress involved with traveling around the world, racing motorbikes.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you if you see it from the the points only of the result, normally he, honest, honestly, she should have uh, kicked me out mid of last year and took took one Spanish rider. So because mid of the race, my results have been a little bit worse and was really tough for me. but yeah, if you see the possibilities of the riders in, in Spain and Italy, um, they, they have so many tracks and uh, the people really support the sport and it's everywhere on television and everything. And in Germany, we really have, we have strong, uh, strong, um, how do you say uh, in English, uh, many, many companies and strong, uh, how do you say, um, I can't strong help. financial, uh, from what? I was gonna say I, I can't help
0: you because I don't know what you were trying to say. I was trying to think of the yeah. word. I
1: don't know what you were trying to say. So, yeah. But uh, the the lobby, let's say for motorsports or motorcycling sports, is not the uh, the strongest one because that that's the reason why we are really fighting for for getting the sponsors and the money and uh, like tracks like Sachsenring or Hockenheimring, uh, everywhere where there's some some population around, they have so many problems with noise and that's really big reason why why it's getting what uh, very difficult to be training and racing there um, because of the of the people and in spain or italy you have so many tracks and so many possibilities training all the year and that's that's a big reason why there are not so many many german or or europe north european middle european uh, riders stepping up and so many spanish and italian and yeah, and I—I yeah. I mean, in, in Spain, yeah. you can race in your back garden, right? I mean, there's so much space. Yeah.
0: There all these young kids riding around, so yeah. I guess the good thing, though, Lucas, is that you know they the Kiefer Racing team have stayed loyal to you. You've stayed loyal to them, yeah. and you are with them this year in the, the CV Repsol uh, Moto Two European Championship, which is again a fantastic opportunity for you to show that you, yeah. you are quick. And, and in that first race last weekend, for those listening, the uh, the FIM CV Repsol Championship started last week. Quite strangely for me, qualifying on a Monday, racing on a Tuesday, it was quite strange to be having my breakfast on a Tuesday morning and watching the CV live on TV. Um, yeah. and, and you kick-started the season in, a, in pretty good fashion, didn't you? I mean, you, you got a podium in the first race. We won't talk too much about the second race because uh, we can move on from that, obviously. A, a small spill. Uh, and he, I mean, you can't see this, but he's actually showing me the, uh, the, the trophy very proudly uh, on this uh, Zoom call. Uh, But that's a nice way to start the season and to, you know, to give you some confidence and also to repay the the team to say, look, you believed in me. And look, look what we've done. You know, with very little testing because of coronavirus, we've got a podium in the European Championship. Yes, unfortunately, you crashed out in the second race, but you were trying to get two podiums. I mean, you know, you're not there just to ride around and finish 10th or 11th or 12th. You're there to try and win a championship. So it's unfortunate that you crashed, but you get another chance this week. Because as I say, you're in, in Portimao in Portugal. It's a track that you know. And again, strangely, racing on a Monday. So uh, just talk to us about the first race. And what's it actually like racing on a Monday, or a Tuesday, and qualifying on a Sunday? It's all a bit bizarre, isn't it? Does, does that, is it? does it feel different when you're in the track? Does it feel any different?
1: Um. Doesn't feel so much different, only because you, when you text your friends and everybody, it's it's strange because normally it's Sunday, everybody knows race Sunday, and even when you post on, one post on on Instagram, tomorrow is race uh, Sunday, Tuesday, it's it's so strange to, to do things like this. But <laughs> yeah, it's when you're when you're there on the on the racetrack, you have your training sessions, then you have qualifying day, and then you have race day. It's all like going step-by-step proceeding and uh, then it's not so much different if it's Tuesday or Sunday but for people standing next to you or outstanding people watching the races I can imagine it's super strange that it's on a a Tuesday but yeah this time we start on Friday uh, training Saturday training Sunday qualifying and Monday racing Uh, it's also super strange but uh, yeah I don't know. It's like this and uh, better racing like this on a Monday than not racing. So I'm, right. I'm really glad yeah. to, to be part of this and like, that I can race now.
0: Yeah, exactly. And obviously, again, just going back to that first race, podium first time, as we said, oh, yeah. that, you must have been delighted to get that podium. I mean, that's a great way to start the season.
1: Yeah, yeah honestly, was, was really, I was really happy after the, the race. Because we struggled a little bit in the qualifying sessions to, to get the pace because the other riders, the Montella, Tulli, Zaccone, they've been really, really fast and consistent. I was uh, thinking a little bit, oh, yeah. will be will it be tough to fight with them. But at the end of the race, they, they've not been so much, much uh, faster. And I was even in the end of the race, I think similar speed and even closing the gap to Zaccone and uh, getting that podium. Um, The same plan I had for the second race was, again, the same situation. I lost a little bit in the beginning with the new tires and the grip. I'm not quite used to this because in the World Championship we have harder tire compounds. And when I'm training, I'm always on really, really used tires. uh, It's it's in the paddock here and we have some noise in the background. (laughs) Guys cleaning, cleaning their bikes. Um... And yeah, in the end of the race, I I knew I will be strong again when the grip drops a little bit, because I'm I'm used to that, and it was the same situation in the, in the second race. I was step by step getting a little bit closer after after the first laps, but then unfortunately lost the front at the end of the back straight in turn six. Um, I was going deep to the corner, just starting to open the throttle, where the front was starting to jump and, and close. I was just at 5% of throttle. So just lifting a little bit of weight off the rear and then lost it. Really, really disappointed. But okay, that's racing. And I have two more possibilities now on Monday.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I fully agree. And I'm sure everybody listening will agree that it's better to have racing on any day of the week than for us just to cancel all the championships. Uh, you know, it's exactly. it last week with, with Stephen, as you just commented on the Stephen that uh, that Lucas is referring to is Stephen Odendahl, who was uh, joining me on, on episode two of the, the room podcast, which is also still available if you want to download it. Uh, and we were talking there absolutely about, you know, people saying, ah, oh, but you know, the world championship, most of the races are in Spain, but okay. I'd, I'd rather have six races in Spain, and at least have a, have a world championship than have yeah. no races, right? Um, it's better right, for yeah. everybody. It's not an ideal situation, but nobody could have predicted this coronavirus right. um, yeah. outbreak. I mean, it's completely unbelievable. Um, let's look at the other championship that you're racing in. And this is something that's really interesting to me. The Moto e World Cup, Matteo Ferrari, former Superstop 1000 rider uh, in CIV and in the, the World Superbike Paddock as well, uh, won that championship last year. There's some pretty quick riders in that series, former world champions. Uh, Nico Tirol, uh, for example, last year was, was in that series. Seté Gibenauer was on the grid. Bradley Smith is on the grid. You know, there's some really, really good uh, riders. What was it that interested you in, in the Moto E Championship? Because the bikes are different. I mean, they don't make any noise, for one. I mean, I imagine that's the biggest thing. You're going down the straight if <laughs> the bike stops because there's no noise. But um, what, what, what attracted you to the Moto E Championship?
1: Yeah, for me, after after I didn't find a spot in the in the Moto2 uh, World Championship for this season, we had to find uh, other uh, possibilities. We had already for the for the Super Sport, and now I'm here in the Moto2. But before, already at the end of the season, it was pretty clear that I will go to the Moto E because would be also possible together with the World Super Sport, because um, there are no uh, no races on the same weekend, and. Then we uh, end of the season we started to talk with Tech Three because I know already heavy from the past when I was racing on, on his chassis on the Tech Three chassis in 2018, here in CRV. Um, and yeah it was uh, was possible and, and we decided to do it because was uh, was a good possibility for me also to stay inside the MotoGP paddock because the Moto E is a part part of it of the of the MotoGP because you, you you stay there you, you will be seen when you, when you have good results and you can stay in touch with the teams and also the the level of the championship is like you already already said the, the level is super high so many fast riders from motogp moto2 uh, world endurance from everywhere there are so many fast riders and makes it really really interesting because when you are there and when you fight there for the top positions you are a really really fast rider and that's that's really interesting for me.
0: Yeah, and of course the riding style I imagine is completely different. So I remember watching the race, I think it was in Misano last year and it's the first full race that I've been able to watch because of all of the world Superbike clashes and, and I really enjoyed yeah. it. I wasn't sure what to expect, but I thought the racing was, was really good. But boy, when you crash one of those things, I mean, uh, it's big, right? I mean, it's, it's not just like a little low side, those bikes, uh, when you're, oh. the, and they weigh about, how many kilos do they weigh? About 200 kilos or something crazy.
1: No, even more, even more. We have two hundred sixty, two hundred seventy kilos. Wow! Because we, it's it's really really big and and heavy bike, because you have the the battery. Because you need this power, and uh, the battery is in front and pretty low and pretty much in front of the bike. That's why it's more or less okay to ride because the weight is in front and pretty low. So you don't. It doesn't feel like two hundred sixty. It feels like two hundred twenty kilos let's let's say like this to to imagine something um and we we are a lot lot slower on the on the and with the motor two in heres where we had the first test we have like two hundred seventy on the back straight top speed, and with the motor e I have two hundred forty something like this um, but for the less speed and the more weight, the breaking point is pretty much the same, so it's it's okay but uh when you when you turn in or when you change direction, you feel the weight but um for the for for this and the weight and the, the power of the bike, the the lap times are even really really fast. So it's it's impressive to to see and to to ride there. Yeah, I was going to say, and the speeds that you're talking
0: about there, when you give, as you say, when you compare the the, the size of the bike and the weight of the bike, that's still pretty fast. I mean, you know, as, as technology develops in a couple of years, I'm sure the weight will come down. I mean, the speeds will go up. Sure. Um, what's it like riding a bike with no gears then, or does it have? It doesn't have. <laughs> right? No, it doesn't
1: have gears. No, 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 nothing. I'm showing nothing. My, uh, my lack of technical knowledge here, but I'm trying to think, does it, does it have gear? I'm to think, <laughs> comparing it back to the formula. It, it has gears. It, yes. it has one gear in front and one gear backwards. Honestly, when you, when you put the bike back in the, in the boxes uh, from, the, from the championship, every team has the fixed boxes and we just put our stuff inside. And the, the ramp up into the box is pretty, pretty high. So for this we need a back uh, backwards gear and uh, like this the mechanics put the bike oh, so back so uh, a, a
0: reverse gear. I thought you were joking. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's a reverse exactly. gear. That's honestly, weird. honestly, because the bike is uh, is so heavy and it's really I don't know the word in English. It's uh, going oh, pretty ramp. much. Yeah, the ramp. Uh, pretty, uh, uh, pretty pretty deep. much. Yeah. Deep. Yeah, exactly. And that's why oh, we that's need a reverse. Gear. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's great. But, I didn't know that. Yeah, When you sit on the bike, um, compared to normal bike, you have uh, on the right side the brake with the, with the hand, and right foot the rear brake, left hand the clutch, and left foot the, the shifter, shifting level. And now on the Moto E, you only have on the right side of the hand the front brake, right foot the rear brake, and on the left side nothing. <laughs> it is so strange when you sit there and when you think like, okay, braking clutch there's no clutch it's it's so strange yeah how have you done that you racing, first
0: the first few times that you were the first few times that you were riding then were you did you find yourself on the brakes going for the clutch and then thinking oh shit like, yeah. the, fell
1: off. like what's <laughs> the first few laps i i tried it yeah but <laughs> there was no clutch. <laughs> it's it's super strange honestly to after 15 years riding a bike with, uh, with fuel and with clutch and shifter level and and everything going to an electric bike that doesn't have all this stuff you only pull the throttle and brake and and steer the, around the corners it's it's everything you have to do easily said but it's it's so strange after so many years on, on a like normal bike if you say
0: yeah strange course. yeah for sure just two more questions because uh, we've been talking already for nearly 26 minutes uh, it's time for... Honestly.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> we, uh, we just get going. And, and I get paid by the minute, so, that's, uh, so I get paid by the word. So uh, the more words that I say, <laughs> the better it is, right? So, um, yeah. I want to ask you very quickly about the, um, the online gaming, because technically you have made your Moto E debut. And I was watching that, I think I sent <laughs> you a picture, actually, to your WhatsApp. I mean, it was chaos, but that was a load of fun, was it? It was a great initiative by, by Dawn to, to not just focus on the, the Moto GP, Riders, they actually brought in Moto Two, Moto Three, and Moto E, which I thought was genius. That was brilliant.
1: (laughs) It was it was funny to watch. I can imagine, but for me, I had uh, the imagination. Not just finished race. My pace is not the best to fight for the victory. I know. I I was not also training not so much like the guys in the front because they say, "Oh, I was training yesterday a little bit." But honestly, they have been training a lot more because they've been so fast (laughs) and. I just wanted not to crash in this, uh, I don't know, eight laps, the race was. And uh, in the first lap already, it was, was chaos. I made a good start, entered into the first corner, and then Agata was coming, flying already. The bike was flying on the inside of the first corner at Misano, <laughs> Hit me on the inside, and I was not crashing. I was also continue flying into Torres, and then three riders crashed in the first incredible. corner. It, wow. was like the,
0: uh, it was like the Red Bull Air Race, you know, like
1: Oli. Yeah, mean,
0: exactly.
1: It was crazy. Exactly. <laughs> Chaos. And then we respawn. I respawn together with Torres inside of each other. Mistake of the game. And then we crash again. And then I continue again in front of him into turn three at Misano, And then he crashed again inside me. He uh, kicked me out. So I crashed three times in the first three corners. And then my race was like done.
0: <laughs> yeah and of course all these guys that you're you're playing with on the game um are obviously going to be on track with you at the first yeah. round so uh, i you, you need
1: mirrors you know I, you need some mirrors on I, the which side they're coming up i hope this doesn't uh, happen in the real life so no, I, I i think everybody was like okay if a crash nothing happens it's a game i go full whatever but in real life it's different <laughs> but yeah let's let's hope so Again, on, on uh, knock yeah. on wood, knock on wood. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um,
0: final question: I've got to ask you. Obviously, a lot of riders when they come into, into racing, especially nowadays, the the ultimate ambition is to go down the route of of, of MotoGP. That's the ultimate that everybody wants to become a MotoGP world champion. Stephen odendahl last week quite openly saying, "Look, I want to win the World Super Sport Championship, and then I want to go into World Superbike, and I want to try to be the first South African to win." The World Superbike Championship. So I'm quite keen and interested from your point of view, given that you've you know, you've come from a supersport background with the R6 Cup, you've done Moto2, you're now in E. You know what's what's the ultimate dream for for Lucas Tulovic? Obviously to be on a competitive bike somewhere. But is is there an ultimate yeah. goal that you're striving for?
1: No ultimate ultimate goal. You have it's it's allowed to be to be dreaming. There's no nothing nothing worse about it. And my dream is still to to go back to the Moto2. World well, Championship, dreaming to to win this championship would be so amazing. And one day, if if Valentino will still be there, riding 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 against uh, racing against him, would be uh, like a childhood dream. Because I was since I'm small watching the races in front of television and and stitching like thumbs uh, thumbs uh, how do you say thumbs uh, uh, together? Uh, yeah, cross cross
0: thumbs or cross, cross think
1: fingers. Think, saying, cross your fingers. Yeah, you know. Exactly, uh, for for him, and uh, it would, would be uh, possible to race against him, or even in in, in MotoGP. One day, it would be a childhood dream come come true for me. No, for sure, for sure. Well, Lucas, as I said, I
0: could keep talking and talking. I haven't actually done any public speaking mm-hmm. since uh, since the Qatar Grand Prix and, and obviously Philip. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the minute that somebody says they'll do a podcast, I'm like, yes, yeah, somebody to talk to. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, but no, it, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure. It's been really cool getting to know you over the last sort of six or eight months. And as I said, uh, disappointed that you're not in the World Superbike paddock because I think you could have had a great season and I think we'd have had a load of yeah. fun. Uh, on the, on the paddock yeah, show, sure, uh, sure. especially when you start singing uh, "Artemis" by Alan <laughs> Fisher. I mean, that would have gone down in history. Uh, oh my God! It
1: been, and Osher's Slim, this would have been, oh, yeah, incredible. <laughs> yeah, for
0: sure, for sure. But no, I mean, I wish you wish you, and Kiefer, racing all the very best uh, for for Portimao on Monday and for the rest of the season. Obviously, from a paddock show perspective, you're always welcome uh, to to come on as a guest. Right now, of course, we don't have a paddock show uh, scheduled this year because we don't know when we're going to have fans again. So it may be this year, it may not. Um, I think certainly the the osher round of World Superbike, sadly, uh, has been postponed until 2021 anyway. Um, But yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll get you into the paddock at some point and we can uh, can entertain uh, the German fans. Because I'm sure you're building up quite a fan base now. Uh, with uh, with your results, so I always see uh, a lot of flags around. Uh, certainly, last year there was flags and support for you. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was
1: it was amazing. Yeah. Even uh, on tracks like Japan, there've been some uh, German and Kiefer Racing fans. It was was so amazing. And of course, when you're racing on on such a high level in the World Championship uh, and making quite quite good progress and results, there are some some people that getting getting interested to it and uh, follow you. So it's uh, it's pretty nice, and if you get this support and this uh, this uh, 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 people on your behind your, your back, it's uh, it's so amazing and yeah. gives you really really good motivation.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Well, Lucas, uh, dankeschön. Uh, thank you. <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> thank you for, for joining. And uh, again, uh, we'll look forward to uh, to seeing your progress as the season uh, progresses. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. So that was Lucas Tulovic, who's racing in the Moto2 European Championship and in the MotoE Championship as well. Stay tuned because uh, coming up next is the son of the 1969 250cc world champion, Kel Carruthers. Yes, I will be talking to Moto America's communications manager, Paul Carruthers, after this short break. Here at Vroom, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So whether you've got a burning motorsport question or if you've got a favourite rider that you'd like us to try to reach out and arrange an interview with, please, please, please get in touch. You can contact me through my Twitter account, at mhillofficial. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch today. Well, up next, and it's a case of role reversal. Uh, I'm joined uh, by Paul Carruthers, who is the uh, communications manager for Moto America. A good friend of mine. I've known him for a few years. He's been around in the paddock for more than three decades. Uh, i tell you what, Paul, I wouldn't have guessed that. You still only look about 25, mate. That
2: Botox must be working really well. Yeah, thanks. It's, uh, it gets a bit expensive because I have to do it every day now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it must be working because I definitely, uh, you know, I don't feel that old either, so. And that to me is the main thing
0: for sure. Well, Paul, thanks for, thanks for joining us. As I said, uh, we, we've talked to you in a, in a different way, obviously with you and Sean Bice, uh, asking me the questions. So now, now I'm kind of, now I'm in the driving seat. I mean, you're, you're looking like you've got a bit of a bit of a squeaky bum there. You're looking a bit nervous, mate.
2: Well, I'm used to asking the questions, not answering them, you know? <laughs>
0: I'll try not to make them uh, not make them too difficult. For those that are listening uh, to Vroom, this is obviously episode three. And uh, Paul, as I said, is the communications manager for Motor America, has had a, an illustrious career, more than 30 years editing uh, Cycle News, which is one of the biggest publications uh, stateside. And also, just throwing that out uh, to, to the listeners, Paul, uh, you are the son of the 1969 250cc world champion Kelkerothers. So I mean, biking's been in the blood since you are a nipper.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've really known nothing else. Um, I grew up in the paddock uh, when I was really young in Australia, and then that paddock transferred to the Grand Prix. So we traveled in Europe from the time I was, you know, five until I was 10, um, basically lived there. I mean, we'd come back to Australia in the winters, which was Australia's summer. But uh, otherwise, and then we, spent, we did spend one, England in, uh, one uh, summer in England. Uh, which uh, actually winter, uh, but yeah, I've just grown up in the paddock, and, and and then I got to go back to the paddock when my dad went back as, as crew chief for Kenny Roberts. So I went back in 1978 for the summer when I was you know off school, and that was that was a hell of a year. I mean, that was there was nothing like that because Kenny Roberts arrived, we arrived, and we had these two big American motorhomes that nobody really had yet, and and he was so special. And he took everybody by surprise and, and he was, you know, you know, Kenny Roberts, he's Kenny Roberts. And, and to be, to live through that summer with him and have all that fun and going to all those races, it was, it was really cool. And I was, you know, I was 17 years old or something. So it was a good time.
0: No, it sounds great. I'm sure you've got loads of stories that, uh, that you can throw into, uh, into this chat that we're going to have for the next half an hour or so. It's quite interesting. This, uh, this chatting to you, because normally we speak to, uh, riders, um, who are sons uh, of riders if that makes sense. Uh, and from your point of view, you're the son of a racer But correct me if I'm wrong, you never you never went into racing or if you did you never followed it through
2: Yeah, I raced when I was young and I've always ridden motorcycles and obviously when I was at Cycle News I did a lot of the motor, uh, the product testing there So I've I've had a lot of experience riding motorcycles both dirt and street and on the racetrack and I like I said before I, I raced when I was uh, a teenager in, in San Diego I just didn't. It's. I, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't have. Honestly, I think my my parents played a big role in me not doing that. Like they pointed me towards going to school, and I think that for several reasons, I don't think, I don't think my mom would have wanted to go through it again. You know, <laughs> she went. You know, you know she went through it with my dad, and you and, and I think a lot of people take Racers Wives for granted. As to what they actually have to go through to be part of this, I'm sure any athletes' wife, uh, wife is the same, but I think motorcycle racing is obviously a lot different because of the danger. Um, so I know that. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't particularly. I mean, it was hard on my mom, but um, she also she was also lucky that my dad was like I was. I remember as a kid being at the races with my dad, and I never worried about him getting injured or killed or anything like that. It just didn't even cross my mind because A, he was good and B, he was good at a safe level. If you understand, you know what I mean? He didn't, he didn't overstep the bounds that put himself at risk. He was always good at riding. He was good enough that he could ride within his limits and still be, and still be good. So, but I don't think she wanted to go through that again with her son. And I just elected to, and I, I didn't even I didn't even have plans to work in the motorcycle industry at all. You know, my 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 goal at first was to be a journalist, a sports journalist in in the local newspaper in San Diego, the Daily Newspaper. And then when I graduated from school, I actually went to work for a a, a biweekly local newspaper chain. And then one day I got a call from John Orich at Cycle News, who's the editor, and he said, hey, could you help me out and, and do a freelance story from, from a motorcycle race? And I'm like, yeah, why not? I'll give it a shot. And then he obviously liked it, and they had an opening not so long after that, and I went up there and interviewed for the job and got it, and then it just kind of went from there. That's,
0: that's so it's, it's
2: been good because I've always loved motorcycle racing, and I've been around it my whole life, and now I, and I get to continue to do that. but from from the other side. Yeah,
0: and it's, and it's clearly a role that you that you love and clearly a role that, you, that you're suited to. I mean, you do a great job, uh, you did a great job obviously at Cycle News, and obviously you've been instrumental in the promotion and the media, along with a whole raft of people, including Wayne Rainey, Chuck Axel, and all the guys in, in Moto America. So just touching briefly on Moto America, we'll come back to it later. Um, you must be delighted to see the success of the series. Uh, and obviously this year, you know, not delighted with COVID, but the fact that we have had COVID, it's opened up Moto America, to an even bigger audience because the championship's now on Eurosports and, and more people are actually seeing the great work that's been done over the last few years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I hate to say that we've taken advantage of a bad situation, but, I, you know, we have, but it's also good because we've, we, we've been providing people with something that they love and that they want and that they've missed. So it's kind of twofold there. It's been really good for us, but it's also good for them. And I think those first two races, you know, the first one at Road America, we had zero fans. Um, And the next uh, race at Road America, we had a lot of fans. A lot of people came out. The weather was incredible. The racing was great. So I I think that those two races have probably done more for Moto America than any of the previous five years. So uh, I think it's a good thing for us. I think, you know, the whole Eurosports thing has been good. And there's nothing quite like being the only show in town, you know. I mean, if, here in the States, you know, I, I turn on ESPN or, or these other sports stations, Fox or what have you, and, you know, it's, it's the 1994 World Series or the 2005 Super Bowl or something. There, there hasn't been any live sporting events until, well, now, um, you know, we had Formula One and stuff that's gotten started. But really, we, for a while there, we were it. And uh, I think we gained a lot of fans. And I think we gained, I think we gained, we already have a lot of respect in our paddock, Moto America does. And I've been, I've been involved in this. So I saw the, the previous regime before Moto America, and they didn't have the sort of respect that, that we have in that paddock. And I think this only enhanced that because I think we took a big, I wouldn't say a gamble, but we, we Richard and the guys were willing to stand up and, and make this happen. And that's made, that's created opportunity for all those people in the paddock that would be sitting around without any income or opportunity to, to show their sponsors in a positive light and to just move forward with, with their lives and their career.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, and obviously I've been involved, luckily to, to be involved with Motoamerica the last, well, I was say the last couple of seasons, this year hasn't really kicked off for me because I'm banned from entering America, um, for, uh, for, for all the wrong reasons, I'm sure. But, uh. It has been a great start to, to Moto America. There's been some fantastic races, as you said, uh, Cameron Bobier. Maybe we just touch on on this and, and kind of reverse how I was going to do the interview. But uh, Cam Bobier, I mean, uh, we all know what a fantastic talent he was. I mean, he came out of the blocks. He definitely got out of bed the right side, didn't he, at the start of the season? I know he tipped off in the last round, which has closed the points up. But I mean, he he was on another planet in the opening couple of races.
2: Yeah, he was. I think he's. I think his change to a new team has been an easier transition than, you know, obviously like, you know, Tony or some of the other guys that have maybe changed teams. Um, I think he's moved. I think that the things that Richard Stamboli has brought to the team has actually helped him. And I think he fell in love with the, with the new motorcycle quickly in the tests. And I think from there he just had confidence. That's just been unbelievable. And you know, his tip over in, in turn one at road America, I mean, there's a bump there that everyone knows you don't hit. And, you know, he made a mistake and hit it and crashed. But after, I mean, talking to him, his confidence level is, is not damaged whatsoever. I fully expect him to, uh, to pick up the ball and run with it again when we get to road Atlanta in a couple of weeks. But you, you he just seemed like a completely different, um, different rider to me. Like everybody, you know, the really good ones at some point, they hit that point where it, it gets easier, I think, you know, and I've talked to my dad about this too. And he said, you get to this point where you're winning and all of a sudden it's like, it's easier, like everything's just, right. you know, and eventually that changes because somebody else steps up that's got that same feeling and maybe you've gotten a little older or whatever. But uh, Cameron's definitely at that point where his level's really high and he's confident. And I think his level's just going to keep going. It's going to be up to those other guys to to see if they can uh, catch up or at least stay where they were, because he's not going to slow down.
0: Yeah, no, no, for for sure. And obviously, Tony, as you mentioned, has obviously got a a few teething problems just to get going, but we know, obviously, what a credible rider Tony is. We've had a BMW on the podium. We've had a a brace of Ducati podiums as well. So, uh, you know, anyone that's never seen of america before looking at it, I mean, it's a fully international series, as as we see, I think 16 or 18 different nationalities. it's five or six manufacturers in, in, uh, in Superbike, Kawasaki uh, winning in SuperSports. I mean, uh, America now, as, as, as we said briefly, it's, it's in a really good place, isn't it? It really is.
2: Yeah, it is. And it's, it's funny because sometimes we, I think we're, we, we get caught up in it and you're obviously always trying to do more and you're trying to do better. And sometimes you just have to take a step back and go, wow, look where we've come in these five years, you know? Right. It's, it's been massive, the changes. And and as you know, we we don't have a huge, uh, uh, we don't have this huge team of people that does this. I mean, we've got a pretty core group, and then we use a lot of volunteers and some contracted workers. But as a whole, we're we're this pretty small uh, group of people that that work hard and have put this thing together. So I think there's a lot of things that we could be proud about. But again, you're working so hard, and you're and you want more, and it's never enough that you sometimes need to step back and look at what you've actually accomplished. I have to remind those guys of that sometimes because we kind of get ahead of ourselves and wanting more, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a really, really good point. Uh, one thing I should mention as well, and I should have mentioned this at the beginning, so, so apologies, we've gone 11 minutes into this, uh, this discussion and I haven't said congratulations, Paul, because you recently became a grandfather. I've seen some, I have uh, some, I've seen some great pictures on, on social media and uh, I haven't actually asked you off, off uh, this, uh, this, this recording. Is it your first grandchild?
2: Yes. Yes. Oh, it it's my, it's my daughter's and it's her first. So yeah, it's the first in the family. And, uh, it was kind of nice yesterday. My, my, you know, the COVID things kind of had a play in all of this because we could, no one could go to the hospital, uh, obviously. So instead of, you know, the family's waiting outside and all that hoopla, which was probably better for my daughter. Cause she could just relax and take care of business without worrying about a room full of people. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah my, my my dad and mom got to go and visit yesterday so oh that's cool and wow. that, so that's great grandparents for them nice. but uh no it's been it's been it's been awesome it's you know it's it's kind of a different feeling you know when you're when you get to that point luckily i had my kids when i was 12 uh, that's a joke <laughs> <laughs> but you know i did have kids when i was young so it's not like i'm 80 years old so
0: no, 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 absolutely. <laughs> and, and if you were, you'd be the best looking 80-year-old, wouldn't you? With all those injections you keep pumping. Yeah, and, right. You
2: know, the Botox I mean, makes me look 75.
0: No, it's, it's great. No, So, so congratulations. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, for Thank that. You. I saw, saw the pictures on social and I, I think I did message you and said that's the doting. Is, is it grandfather? Is it granddad? Is it So I mean, have you I think
2: it'll you? be like Papa, maybe Papa. Okay.
0: Papa. That's cool. I want to go back, obviously, just to, to when you were, were a youngster. You were toddling around the, the various paddocks in the world, as you said. Uh, obviously, born, born, I presume, in Australia, and then the whole family moved across uh, following your dad. I mean, your dad's also been a race winner at the Isle of Man TT. I think you've got a couple of TT wins uh, over there.
2: Did you ever, as a child, get to go and watch the TT? Is that something you've witnessed firsthand? Oh, yeah, that was every year. And uh, it was always my birthday week was in the Isle of Man. Oh, wow. But yeah, we went to we we went there, and it's funny. I've got. I mean, I remember. I remember we would uh, we would give paddock, uh, pit signals at Parliament Square, so there'd be me, my sister, <clears throat> my older sister is two years older. It'd be me, her, and my mom at Parliament Square with like the radio on, yeah, and yeah. my mom giving pit signals, and I remember like when Mike Hale would would come through. I remember my mom like pulling us back because I mean, he's just on this beast of a Honda six or whatever, just, you know, tank slapping and, you know, and, and, and I think that made her a little bit nervous, but I mean, how cool is that that I, you know, we got to experience that kind of uh, that kind of thing. And it was, you know, it was different. I mean, the Isle of Man has always been a tragic race and it, and it always will be just because, I mean, how could it not be? but it was it was always it was it was a difficult one because there was always it always seemed like one of my dad's friends or one of our family friends was hurt or even worse right on the Monday after so it was kind of a it, it, it was a different deal but it, it, it was always one of my favorites because everyone spoke English and it was kind of this festival atmosphere and I remember it was like you know I could drive go karts in town and kind of do some stuff that we didn't ordinarily get to do but. Uh, yeah, the Isla man was cool, and, and uh, for my dad, he would he, and if you asked him this, he would tell you that those TT wins at the time were as big, if not bigger, than actually being world champion. I mean, it was just a massive thing for him, and, and to win two of those uh, back-to-back, he won on the first one on the Benelli in 69, and then he won on the Yamaha in 1970, um, yeah, those were a big deal. Yeah, and, and uh,
0: again for those uh, sort of that are too young and maybe not aware, uh, the, the Isle of Man TT used to be uh, one of the rounds of the world championship, didn't it? I mean, I just right. you had the lights of Agostini and uh, Mike Hailwood and, and all the top guys going across there to race and. You know, you, you had to perform well there to, to be in with the shot at the championship. And I've, I've been to the other of Man loads as, as a kid. Used to go as a pillion on the back of my dad and remember sitting on the wall at Glen Helen. And I think it might have been um, Steve Hislop, the late Steve Hislop. And I remember, I think he scraped his his elbow actually on the wall. And I remember that my dad sort of pulling me back. And, and I, I remember that vividly as, as they used yeah. to do Glen Helen with a little commentary box on the hill on the, on the right-hand side. And then they kind of turn left and, and go up the hill. It's, uh, it's a phenomenal circuit though, isn't it? I mean, maybe 38 miles long, you know, hundreds of corners. I mean, I'd love just to be able to, I'm sure you, you would, you know, close the roads and just let me have a steady lap around. You know, I'll be quite happy averaging 50 or 60 mile an hour, but I'd love just to do one lap knowing that there's nothing coming the other way.
2: Yeah, it was good. I think it was 2000. Benelli took my dad back to ride, um, I guess it was their 900. I think that it was a triple, their new sport bike. So he rode that in the parade. And Alan Cathcart got me some old Benelli. So I got to do exactly what you said. And it was nice. It was not, yeah. So it was nice because it was on a slower bike. So I couldn't get myself into too much trouble, but it was really enjoyable to just go around there. And I remember riding around there just thinking, I can't, it's like, I can't believe my dad did this, like actually raced on this track. You know, it's like, it's just, it's really watching. It's one thing. um, But if you do get that opportunity to do a closed lap where you, you know, you're not worried about cars or anything like that, and you can actually focus on, on how difficult that place would be. I can't imagine, like, I just can't imagine learning, you know, learning that circuit and, and knowing what's coming up next and, and dad said it like it, you, you, when you go to the Isle of Man, and he'd tell anyone that's going that, you know, you have to take it's two or three years of learning before you can get to the point where you're, you're actually willing and, and, and comfortable enough to just go race. Yeah. And, and as you said,
0: I mean, obviously, your dad and, uh, and the likes are racing back in the sort of the late 60s, early 70s, and technology, tires, brakes, everything so different then as well. I mean, you, we've seen such an advance in,
2: in motorcycles over the last 20, 30 yeah, years. I mean, it was treaded tires and drum brakes. Wow. You know, so, and they're still averaging, you know, 99, 100, 101 miles an hour around there back on those bikes. It's, I look at some of the photos of him, and I'm like, God, the suspension's bottomed out and, you know, he's wearing a, a helmet that these days wouldn't even qualify for a beer cooler. Right, um, right. You know, so... Yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty amazing times. I mean, the trip itself, it, it was funny because when, I mean, I always think of my dad, you know, being a parent now, I, I can't imagine like picking up your whole family and saying, and my mom being good with it and saying, look, we're going to Europe and I'm going to try to be world champion in this very dangerous thing that I do. And just picking up the entire family and moving. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, him and my, uh, my dad and my grandfather went to Europe early to get things set up, you know, to buy the caravan and to buy the, the bike or the van and, and get the bikes. And, and my sister, myself, my mom, and my grandmother took a ship from Sydney to Italy.
1: Six no weeks. Way.
2: Six weeks wow. on a ship, which was cool when you're five years old, but it wasn't so cool for my mom. No. Um, because that's what we could afford. I mean, it was yeah. obviously cheaper to go by sea than it was to fly. So they flew to get ready and we – so, it, you know, that's how our, that's how our Grand Prix, uh, you know, career started. That's so cool. That is such a cool story, isn't it? I was going to say that's one for the grandkids and
0: obviously you've got grandkids. Now. That is such a cool story. You call that, yeah, right? I
2: mean, it's, it's all stuff they, they'll need to know because, you know, their grandfather was a world champion and, and there's not many of those And you know, all of sport. It's something to be special if, it's, if you're actually a world champion. Yeah, for sure. I want to ask you just a
0: couple of questions, and I don't want
2: to get too controversial uh, about
0: it. But obviously, there was some big news uh, within the last sort of week or so that uh, that Michael Vandermark has made a surprise uh, sort of what's the, an announcement, I guess, that he's going to leave uh, the factory Yamaha team at the end of twenty twenty. He's going to move to BMW. Who who is leaving BMW? We don't know. That potentially opens up uh, a pretty coveted seat on the world superbike grid. Um, Coming back to the to sort of the riders' state side, we've got Garrett Gerloff doing a, a great job. I know he's only had one race, but I think he, you know, as I said earlier, he acquitted himself pretty well in, in Australia for the first round of World Superbikes. I'm sure Garrett will be uh, up to speed. Is this the the potential seat uh, for for Cameron Bobier? And I know we've talked on and off over the years about this on various podcasts, and we've discussed it on on Moto America Live Plus. But Cameron's always said, "Look, I'm happy." In, in the States. I've got a nice life here. I enjoy racing my bikes. I enjoy winning races. Um, I'm only going to go to race in World Superbike if I've got the right package. Potentially, this is the right package. What, what's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think if he continues to be as dominant as he has been you know, in, the, in the opening rounds, if he continues at that level, which I think he will, and maybe even goes beyond that level, I think it would be very difficult for them to not offer him the spot. Uh, But whether or not he'd take it, I don't know. In the past, he's always kind of – he's kind of been on the fence with it. And he he could always use – I don't want to say any excuse, but the excuse of like, okay, I haven't really been offered like the A-team deal. Right. You know, which makes sense. I mean, if you're a four-time Moto America champion – you, you don't want to maybe go to the junior team and, and not feel like you're getting the same stuff as Vandemark and, and the other guys. But if he got the offer to take this one and doesn't take it, then honestly, he really doesn't want to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I could see him not wanting to do it. Um, you know, he's a homebody. I mean, he loves it here. He likes being able to go home on, you know, Monday morning and, and be at his house and spend the week at his house, riding his motocross bike and his bicycles and and doing his training and, and having his family around him and, and things like that. So I, I, I honestly, it would surprise me if he went, but then I wouldn't be surprised if he went, if that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I it's something in him could just click and go, you know what, I'm good enough at this point in time that I should give this a shot. And I think if he gave it a shot, I think he'd do well. Um, at the level that he's ridden at now, I would think he'd have to be, you know, he'd be a top five guy right off the bat and see where it goes. And I, I'd love to see him give it a shot, but I also like to, I like having him here because, you know, he's good for Moto America and he's a good guy and, and it's nice. It's, it's always nice to have somebody that that's pushing the level to the point where the other guys know what they have to, you know, know what the level they have to get to in order to, uh, to be as special as he is. So
0: yeah, yeah, no, no, and I agree. And I think a lot of people, you know, I, I tend to try not to get involved too much on, on social media and be political. I try to keep out of that, but you know, it does frustrate me when people say, Well, why doesn't he go? He's got this opportunity, he's won in America, there's nothing left to prove. But it's not as easy as that, is it? You've touched on it already with your dad and like moving the whole family. You know, he's, he's settled here, he's in, a, he's in a, you know, a really good relationship, he's got his family around him to suddenly up and root uh, to, to Europe, which is where you would potentially have to base yourself. It's not just as easy as saying, yeah, I'll go and I'll go and ride this bike. Cause there's a lot of other things to consider. And I think whatever, whatever he decides, you know, he needs to be respected for that.
2: Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, on to, to, to make it at that level, not to say that you don't, you don't have to have the same sort of commitment in America, but I mean, you really got to want it. Right, you know, you've got to crave it. You've got to think about it every night when you fall asleep, and think about it when you wake up, to want to make the commitment to make that big move. Um, you know, and especially if if doing what you're doing here, maybe you find that equally as satisfying. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. I think it probably. I think he probably would want it more now if he didn't get the taste that he had when he was a kid. I think when he went there as a kid and didn't have the support he needed and didn't have the family. And I just don't think his first experience with Europe left him wanting more, you know, especially when he thinks back at it now at the age that he is now compared to then he's like, Oh man, well, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of difficult. And, you know, I respect whatever decision he makes because he's doing what's best for him. It's like, it would be like somebody like, you know, giving you shit because you're not, going to take a job in russia that you've been offered that you know you know you could be the, the how do you know about that that was a
0: <laughs> I mean, exposed me live on episode three of Room. i mean come on paul i thought we were
2: friends right but i mean the bottom line is everybody has to do what uh what they're comfortable with and what what's going to yeah. give them what they feel is the best life i mean that's what it's all about anyway yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely like uh, little girl i mean he's 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 over the moon to be there, you know. He wants to, you know, learn Polish and whatever else he can learn, and just he just he's just jumped right in and 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 he's loving it. And he wants more than anything to, you know, be World Superbike champion or like, go to MotoGP or or what have you. I mean, that's like he he's that's that's his thing right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And i I think he's I think Garrett's good. I think Garrett, if it was anything like his career here he was really good but it got him a, it took him a little bit to get to that point where he got to the next level he he didn't he didn't rush it per se you know um but i think oh, being over there will force him to do that a little quicker and i think he already has uh but i expect really good things from garrett yeah no for sure
0: for sure um i've got to ask you uh, another question which is going to sound a bit strange uh, obviously Putting, putting a few few bits out there in, in uh, these episodes of, of Room. Uh, when I was a kid, I was a massive stamp collector. I'm not even joking. I really did collect uh, stamps. And I remember my nana and granddad giving me loads and loads of stamps. Um, you don't happen to have uh, the, the Kel Carruthers stamp uh, around, do you? Because I was looking on, uh, on, on Wikipedia and doing a little bit of research just so I didn't come in empty-handed. But, um, but your dad actually uh, did get his own stamp
2: collection as well, didn't he? Yeah, he was on a stamp, which is kind of cool. He has it somewhere um I don't have one but he, he he does have one so um you know maybe uh maybe I hopefully he lives another 30 or 40 years but uh when he's no longer around I might make you a deal on it but uh That's cool. it'd be a lot of money cuz I could take advantage of you now that I know you're actually a collector. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I should have kept quiet. You can put the <laughs> price up, but no,
0: it's good. Obviously, you, you said that you were in the, the World Championship paddock, um, which again is very different back then to what it is now. Have you got any any sort of funny anecdotes and stories from from your time as a as a toddler when you got off the ship or when you were a little bit older, maybe getting into your early teens of, of paddock life? Because I guess there was other there was other um, riders' Sons around there, right? I mean, you're talking about Kenny Roberts, but I guess Kenny, Kenny Jr. would
2: have been uh, around as well. Well, yeah, when, when, we went, when we went back in 78, Kenny Jr. was just a little kid, you know? Um, I don't know, he was probably four years old or, or something like that. And uh, I do have a Kenny Roberts Jr. story that was kind of funny. We were at Spa, Spa-Francorchamps for the Belgian Grand Prix. And there was this little old lady that sat outside the, the restrooms all day and she would have a plate there and you would put your, your money in and, and go to the bathroom. And that's how she, you know, I guess she cleaned it or whatever, but she kind of made her money there. And, and so when, when she would knock off at night, Kenny Jr. would go sit there with a plate. No. and he- <laughs> <laughs> So that may have actually been his first real job, but, um. No, the the Kenny stories were, I mean, and Kenny will tell you this. I mean, having my dad show him the ropes, not only early in his career when he actually taught him how to road race properly, but when we went to Europe, the fact that, you know, my dad knew everywhere we were going and, and, and it was funny too, because our motorhomes were identical. And, uh, and like I said earlier in the, in the conversation, no one had these big American motorhomes. And by no means are they big compared to what they have today. But back then, they were a pretty big deal. And in our motorhome, the the windshield was always covered with bugs because we were the leader. And then Kenny was so scared of getting lost, he'd he'd be about five feet behind us in our draft the entire time. So his motorhome windshield was always always clean. And it's funny. It was also at Spa. He'd been searching. Kenny wanted to barbecue. He was big on barbecuing. So he'd searched the whole time we were, we were there. And, and back then, Europe was still not where they had everything that America had. Like now, it's pretty much, you know, they have all the stuff that we have. But he, he spent some, some, some of those early rounds, like trying to find a barbecue, like a portable barbecue, that, so he could barbecue in the paddock. So we, we went to spa and we, we went grocery shopping up in town, and he found this little hibachi barbecue. So he uh, he was all excited. So he brought that back and, and he put it under under the back wheels of his of his motorhome. And then somebody, whoever did the parking at the time, we were parked in the wrong spot. So we had to move the motorhomes and Kenny backed over his one and only hibachi and it smashed it. So
0: no. that was,
2: I'll never forget that because he was a little, he was so a little There was no, no barbecue that. that weekend. No barbecue that weekend. I can't, I think we did find another one somewhere because I remember barbecuing at some point after that, but. No, we had a very good time. I remember we, you know, after Silverstone, that race where they won with dad changed the tires, changed the wheels real quick. And no one else was able to do that. And he went back out with the rain tires and he won. And then, I mean, it was one of the bigger wins of his year to get him to be world champion. But I remember like the partying that night and the crazy things we used to get into with him. And it was just, it was a really good time. And, and Kenny was, it's funny when you watch people age, how how different they become, you know, because he was always cocky. He's still cocky, but, you know, he could be a bit of a prick sometimes. And and now he's mellowed out into this uh, older gentleman who, who likes to bring up these stories and remember things. And, and it's always fun to catch up with him. It, it's one of the things I miss about going to CODA is uh, it was always at least one chance I'd get to to sit down and, and have a beer with him and stuff. So it was, yeah, it was very good times. And And that was even different than then when we went the first time, you know, you mentioned, you know, I grew up in that paddock and, and there were some kids, but there wasn't a lot. And obviously I would, you know, what, if there was English riders on the circuit, then they would have kids that spoke English and, and I would tend to, uh, to hang out with them. But, you know, I mostly, there was always riders in the, in the paddock that were, were nicer to me than others or whatever that I would spend more time with. Like Jack Finley, for example, um, you know, I always have fond memories of him and, and hanging out in his. It was just like this. It was just like this campground, except every camper, you know, every caravan had motorcycles and the racers were working on their own stuff. It was just it was a it was a different time, but it, it was an amazing place to grow up. And did you ever get on the wrong side of, of anybody
0: Just say, you know, some, some, some riders were nicer to you as a kid? Did you ever get on the wrong side of uh... Of any riders who just told you to bugger off and go and play somewhere else? No,
2: I was. A, I think I was a pretty good kid, I was a pretty nice kid. I mean, it you know, there's been plenty of time for me to turn into a prick, but uh, back, but back then, I think I was a very well received, nice, well mannered kid. I think my mom and dad did a good job of raising me, and and uh, you know, it's taken me a long time to get rid of all that goodness that they gave me, but but I think I might have managed it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well,
0: obviously, Paul, you you know, I I get paid by the word so we we could keep going for another couple of hours. I do just want to finish off uh, this interview uh, before we close our episode three uh, of Room just by talking very briefly about the the rest of the Moto America season. As I said, I know that that is your main uh, focus from, from a work point of view at the moment. Brand number three, coming up at Road Atlanta, uh, followed a week later uh, by Pittsburgh, uh, a race that I went to last year. Great, uh, great facility. I really enjoyed my, my time there. And then, of course, a new circuit uh, for Moto America, The Ridge. So maybe you can just give a, a quick synopsis uh, just to finish off uh, our little segment uh, on, on what, uh, what the fans here in Europe and around the world can look forward to for the rest of Moto America 2020.
2: Well, I think... As everyone knows, I mean, COVID's been a, a big issue for all of us, um, and that's no different here. I mean, I think we've been able to do those first two races, and I think doing them in Wisconsin was a big help because it, it's funny for for people that are that are in Europe. Um, you know, you can almost think of the United States at this point of, as being a, a bunch of little countries as opposed to one country because, <clears throat> excuse me, the rules and regulations for each of those when it comes to COVID have, have been handled differently. So, you know, you go to Wisconsin and maybe things are easy and, and, and maybe in California things are going to be more difficult when it comes time to go to Laguna Seca. And we've had to push that date back to give ourselves more time to hope that things have improved. Um, the Ridge also is, is one that's had some, uh, you know, Seattle's been a hotbed um, for, for COVID, so, so they're obviously – they've got to be more careful or, or they're being mandated more or whatever. But, um, yeah, it'll be nice to go to the Ridge cause it's, it's always fun to go to a new circuit. I think it's really good. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun for the riders to have something, you know, new, uh, and it's good for the teams and it's a really, it's in a nice area of the United States that we haven't visited before, uh, the Pacific Northwest. So I'm looking forward to that. Pittsburgh's always great. Like you said, uh, and then road Atlanta. So, uh, we go road Atlanta, Pittsburgh the next weekend, and then we got a little bit of time off and then the Ridge. But yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. Um, you know, obviously now we're in this phase where maybe things are have spun back a little bit to the negative. Um, so we got to deal with that going forward. And again, it's, you know, everything's just gotta be wait and see cause things change so quickly. Yeah. You know, and it's it's like you, you know, you're 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 stuck there and you can't come help us. And, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things. It, it just has a big impact on a lot of people. And, you know, obviously, there are sick people, too, which is which is worse than anything. But, you know, financially and 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 for people's careers, you know, everything's been put on hold in a lot of places and including with yourself. So, you know, our hope is that uh, we we're at least trying to provide um, racing in, in a series for our competitors and our teams and also for our fans. And so far, knock on wood, we've been able to do that without, uh, without too much disturbance. So we're gonna, we're full throttle ahead and, and, and we're going ahead with everything until someone tells us we can't, so. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, as I said, if you are listening, if you haven't caught the first two rounds of the
0: Moto America Championship, you can do online, MotoAmericaLivePlus.com. Uh, you can rewatch everything. Uh, that has happened at the two rounds at Road America. And moving forward, uh, Moto America Live Plus will be broadcasting all five classes from Moto America and uh, new for 2020. You can watch, if you are anywhere in Europe, you can watch on Eurosport or on Eurosport UK if you are in the UK. Uh, Paul Carruthers, uh, obviously it's uh, quarter to five on a Monday evening here in London. Uh, it's looking a bit overcast, a little bit grey, a typical day in the UK. And uh, we're conducting this interview on a Zoom call with uh, with cameras and it's a beautiful blue sky uh, where you are. Uh, thank you for getting. What time is it there now? It must be about nine o'clock in the morning. Is it quarter to nine? Yeah, quarter to nine. You're you're an early bird. I think when you first suggested it, you went. Oh, I'm up at six o'clock. We can do it at six o'clock. I'm like, yeah, hey. I, I
2: do. I uh, I I I really like the mornings. Um, I like the mornings, and I also like that sunset period. You know, and I'm right at the beach, so it's a it's a good place to be. And sometimes you take it for granted of of you know the things you do have, and especially when you know, it's easy to get down a little bit with, with this COVID right. um, thing, but, you know, and, and I sense that with you a little bit sometimes, you know, because I know you want to be doing stuff, but you, I think you just have to keep it positive and, and also realize that uh, you can't spend your time worrying about things of which you have no control over. So this yeah, is one of those sense. things. Yeah. So just keep your chin up, keep your chin up over there and, uh, and we'll see you here eventually. And, and I look forward to, uh, to you coming back and hanging out with us some more. And to all those people watching on Eurosport, we've gotten very good comments from them. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised at how good our coverage is. And I think a lot of people were surprised just at how, you know, big and and successful Moto America is because, you know, if, if you've never seen it, you wouldn't know. So it's good that those people have been exposed to it. And we've got some new fans out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, as I said, Paul, uh, thanks uh, a lot again for your, for your kind words. And I'll try not to send too many more depressive WhatsApp messages. I mean, the poor guy, I, joking aside, I haven't, I think I've inundated you and, and Chuck and Wayne Rainey, and I'm just I'm sorry, I still can't travel. Please just give me something to do. But uh, uh, you obviously know what it's like being being on the inside and, and the kind of people that we are. We want to be involved. We want to be contrib- contributing to, to the championship. But uh, yeah, as I said, as soon as I can legally leave the country and get on that plane, I'll, I'll be over. But uh, you take care. Enjoy every moment with your uh, your new granddaughter, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, hopefully being uh, on site for round three. But if not, I'll be watching it uh, online.
2: All right. Well, take care of yourself, and we'll talk again soon. We will. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That was Paul Carruthers,
0: the uh, Motor America Communications Manager, an all-round top guy, one of the nicest guys I've ever met in the paddock. And yes, he did pay me to say that. Well that's it for episode 3. Join me next week when I'll be joined by Spain's Xavi Forres and South Africa's Temba Kumala. Xavi Forres is chomping at the bit to get going again in World Superbike for Pachetti Kawasaki, the series due to kick off at the end of July. And Temba is a black racer from South Africa, former rider in the European Junior Cup and with a decent pedigree in the South African Superbike and Supersport series. room your weekly motorsport fix podcast is produced by Michael hill and is edited by Gareth bouch of room media the music is by the rain dogs and it's a production of Michael hill promotions